everyone. I'm Dr. Susie Green, CEO and founder of the Positivity Institute. Welcome to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series two, where I'll be chatting to those pioneers of positive education, those who forged forward in their mission to create flourishing students, staff and whole school communities. I'll be speaking to POSED pioneers from various schools around Australia over coming weeks, speaking with them about their experiences and journeys in positive education. My hope is that you're inspired and motivated to consider positive education for your school. The podcast series is generously sponsored by Perth College, who will also be hosting the Flourish 2019 conference this October in Western Australia. And we hope to see you there. Jenny Cook has been a teacher with the South Australian Department of Education for many years. Most of her career has been spent working in disadvantaged schools. Jenny has a degree in education, a graduate certificate in inclusive education, a graduate diploma in art history, and Jenny's currently working towards a doctorate with a focus on teachers' experiences with positive education. Jenny's current role is Deputy Principal at Mount Barker High School, an inner regional co-educational school in the Adelaide Hills. The main foci of her role are student services, wellbeing and student voice. Previously, Jenny was the Assistant Principal for Positive Education and Teaching Practice at the school, and she led the implementation of Positive Education at Mount Barker High School for the past seven years. Mount Barker High School first became involved in positive education in 2012 and 2013 when they worked with Professor Martin Seligman as the Department of Education's focus school with the Adelaide Thinker in Residence program. In 2015, the school became the department's specialist school for positive education teacher training. So good morning, Jenny. Thank you for joining us on the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast. Good morning, Susie. Fantastic. And we have had the the opportunity to get to know each other a little over the years. And I guess I'm really keen to hear about your journey and what brought you and Mount Barker High School to positive education. So perhaps, yeah, we start with either your personal interest and uh, journey or even the, the school more broadly. I guess I'll start with the school more broadly. In 2012 and 2013, Martin Seligman was in Adelaide as part of a program called the Adelaide Thinkers in Residence, where um, they get a partnership of organisations together and bring in a thinker whose work is in line with those organisations. And the Department for Education in South Australia was one of the partners in that partnership. And our principal, who was new to the school, he'd been in the school for about 12 months and uh, 22nd or 23rd of December he got called into the department's head office and asked if we wanted to be the pilot school. So our kind of introduction was a phone call from our principal a couple of days before Christmas saying you've got a book in the mail coming, um, read it. Uh, We're going to be working with the author next year and uh, the book was Flourish. Wow, can I just ask before you go on, so I've also had the opportunity to meet Warren at uh, conferences over the years. Yes. Was he familiar or does he have any inkling as to why he was contacted at the time? Oh, look, there were a range of things. The school had been through a, a bit of a rough time and so I think there was an opportunity there for taking the school in a new direction and as a new principal he was very keen to do that. Right. I think also we're a fairly unique school where a kind of 
I, I think now we're out of me- metropolitan. Mount Barker is a regional town. Right. But sort of suburbs have grown in our direction, so to speak. And within Mount Barker itself, it's got the full range of socioeconomic levels. So if you went to a suburban school, it would be a particular kind of cohort uh, or demographic, whereas we've got a, a full mix of demographics here. So I think that was another reason. The other really good thing that I don't know that the department had thought about this, but that we found was being a regional school, we actually were able to work really closely with our local community and get buy-in from the whole community including our local district council, once we sort of got moving with positive education. So I don't know whether that could have happened as well if it was in a city school. Right. So can I just ask, because I am familiar with Martin Seligman being the thinker in residence and then the strategic uh, documents that were created, Mm. which I still refer to and take into actually the corporate sector who are quite impressed by as much as it is an aspirational goal to become the wellbeing state of the world for South South Australia. It's still uh, quite powerful when you let people know about those documents. And Mm. for me, one of the most powerful images was the activating hub of community wellbeing and I still truly believe that's the future going forward. So yes. was that already in existence before you were brought in, those documents? No, those documents were written as a result of the residency. Right. So they were launched right at the end of the residency. So so that was um, the outcome, if you like. Right. So did I guess in a sense they did Mount Barker potentially have some input around, as you said, seeing involving the community and, and activating this community hub of wellbeing? Yes, I think we were part of that. Very much we were looking at the idea that if we were going to do this, it wasn't just going to be us. So we involved our local primary schools, we involved parents, we involved all of the um district organisations that work with young people. So when um, Martin Seligman came to visit the school, we actually had representatives from Child and Adolescent Mental Health, the Adelaide Hills um, uh, Health Service, SAPOL, Department of Child Protection. So we had um, representatives from all of these organisations come in as well, our local district council. And we have a very active youth services network. And so we were sharing our learning with them as well. So it developed a common language of well-being around the district. Our council, it was quite amazing, our council did a bit of a an audit of their services using PERMA as kind of a model to wow. do their audit against and um, became quite actively involved in looking at what this meant for the district from a um, services perspective as well. Yeah, and there's some uh, great work happening down in Victoria, which you're probably familiar with, with Maroondah City Council, I think in conjunction mm. with uh, the University of Melbourne. Um, we've also been in discussions with Blue Mountain City Council who have got a cluster up there too. I'd be keen to hear, has that been helpful, having that support as well? For us, it really helped us get positive education off the ground. Right. I think one of the things, we didn't have money behind us to spend on training and development and so we had to kind of rely on what could we find. And in having all of that community support, one of the things was that our local child and adolescent mental health service had some psychologists and social workers who were trained in positive psychology. And they were very happy to give their time out of hours, so it was wow. completely voluntary, to running training and development sessions for our staff, which we then opened up to our local primary schools. And we also opened up to the community if people were interested. And it was how we got our initial understanding and learning was really through these sessions and a lot of reading and what was available through the Thinkers in Residence program as well, which were a number of conferences and workshops and 
be hearing Martin speak uh, many times too. It was pretty powerful. So were you involved in that initial, as you know, Martin Seligman was at St Peter's for a period of time too yes. in some of the training that occurred there? Mm. Yeah. Yes, yes. So that was a, a really good opportunity. And we were also one of the, uh, I think, fortunate things about being involved in that program is that a number of us were also able to go to the um, the University of Pennsylvania when ran one of their resiliency programs in Adelaide. So there were a group of us were able to attend that as part of the Thinkers in Residence program. So that was a really good sort of head start, I guess. Yeah, so you were really fortunate to get that kick start. Um, and mm. I guess as you, as you and I both know, that's been one of the largest criticisms of POSED from the very beginning is that it's just for the rich schools or the independent yes. schools. And I mean, the second school that I actually worked with was Tully State High up in uh, far north Queensland. And it was very different uh, from uh, some of the independent schools that we'd started to work with. But yeah. anything that you could suggest, because I think... There will be, and in fact, last uh, series I interviewed Curry Curry High School, who we've been working with and who are also operating mm. as a cluster, and uh, actually had uh, an educator uh, come up to me at the recent IPA conference and say how wonderful it was to hear that interview with a public school to give them some hope and inspiration as to how yes. they might approach positive education. So how has your journey continued uh, since that kickstart? And if you can weave through some tips for perhaps some public schools or educators that are listening in as well. Where, you know, we've shown that it's not just the schools with, with money behind them because we don't have that. We are a public school and we don't have a lot of funding. We have looked at times for grants to look at what's available, but we've also, as I said, worked with our community to see what support's available there. We've also made sure that we connect with opportunities for learning. So, being involved in the Positive Education Schools Association. That didn't exist initially, but initially we had just a little group of us. Um, it was Matthew White from St yes. Peter's and myself and a, a couple of other teachers from schools that were going down this path when Martin was thinkers in residence. And we used to meet up about once a term just to share what we were doing and share what we were learning and share any good books that we'd read. And that was a good way to get knowledge going as well. Absolutely. And I believe PISA are extending their resources on their website too to assist. Yes. Yeah, they're in the process of that at the moment. So um, I think that's going to be quite a good uh, centre for getting information. Absolutely. To, yeah. The next thing we had to do was work out how we kind of shared this with our own staff. And we did make it a, a priority to do some um, of our training and development days around positive education and bringing in the volunteers that we had from our local child and adolescent mental health service. And also looking at those of us who had had the opportunity to be involved in working more closely with Martin and going to the University of Pennsylvania training and sharing what we'd learned there. And there were, so we, we used um, some of our training and development time for that, but we also had an email tree that people could opt into and we'd start a trail of conversation and it might be around gratitude. So we'd pick a theme and then we'd have this trail of conversation and we'd talk about what we'd read and what we'd learned and what we'd seen wow. and everyone would add in and people kept joining it and it grew beyond our own staff to include the staff from our local primary Amazing. schools and then someone would start a new thread and so we'd all share what we were reading and what we were learning and what we were observing and the other thing that we did was set up regular meetings with teachers in the district just to share. Um, and this was a little bit down the track. Once we'd kind of felt that staff had got a degree of knowledge and we were starting to put things into practice in the classroom, which we really 
didn't do much of for the first 12 months. So it was sort of 12 months of staff learning. Yeah. And a lot of that was just if you're interested. We didn't push the issue at that point. Yeah. And then we started having these cluster meetings with our local schools where we would get together and share what we were trying in the classroom, what we were seeing, what we were learning. And so it was a way of being able to learn together. Um, one of our local primary schools has a, actually two of them started book clubs as well. Oh, that's a great idea. And usually it would be a year for a book or um, uh, half a year for a book because they were busy. Yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So they read books like Positivity and Flourish and Mindset. So they, they, I'm just trying to think of some of them because we'd share books around the, the schools as well. Right. Rather. Some of the schools we've worked with have uh, set up positive education libraries or a section within the library. I'm assuming Mount Barker has a fairly extensive (laughs) set of books. We do, we do, and it still grows. Um, I think almost every time we go to a um, a conference we're we're finding more books to add to it. So, yes, and that's primarily it's a teacher's library, but students can have access to it if they wish to. Okay, and I'd like to come back to the students in a moment, but um, I guess I'm really curious about... You mentioned, you know, that staff weren't enforced at all, mandated, and uh, mm-hmm. I've had the experience of both and I'm absolutely, you know, in alignment uh, with self-determination theory that you want yeah. people to have autonomy and choice around rather than being mandated. But in saying that, in some of the schools I've worked with where they've been invited, it's taken four years sometimes for some staff in the beginning who were really anti-positive <laughs> yes. to sort of say, oh, I think I know what you're talking about now because everybody Everybody's on their own personal journeys and they have different events happening in their lives. And what's been your experience with staff embracing it? Well, we found, so as I said, the first 12 months was very much sort of anyone was interested, got involved. Uh, We took all staff to hear Seligman speak in Adelaide. And then in his second year, he actually came and gave one of his public lectures in our school gymnasium. So we did expose all staff and all staff had to be part of the training and development that we did during school hours, but the after-hours sessions that were being run were completely voluntary. But in the second year, we started looking at getting more staff involved and we that was the year that Geelong Grammar School started doing some teacher training. Right, yeah. And we managed to get a federal government community partnership grant that we used to send some of our staff and some of the staff from all of our local primary schools to do that training. Fantastic. And as people came back from that and more sharing was happening and we were doing more, we were gradually getting more and more staff interested because they were seeing that this wasn't just about teaching, you know, a new way of teaching. In fact, it wasn't a new way of teaching. They were actually seeing that the staff were benefiting from it themselves. Yeah. And I I know we had a couple of staff whose fathers died around that time and they both said that what they'd been doing with positive education had really helped them through what was a pretty tough time. So staff started seeing benefits and, and jumping in themselves. And that year I set up a positive education committee and I think the first committee meeting I had, I had 19 staff turn up. Which wow, was that's amazing, yeah. Um, so I had to set up a whole heap of little subcommittees that then fed back. And every meeting we had, we'd have more staff turn up and say, oh, can I join in? And so the enthusiasm kind of started. It, it did snowball. The third year we actually did start to mandate. So in that second year we were starting to look at how POSED could be taught in um, lessons. So we had some teachers working on how to embed it in the curriculum and we had our year eight team starting to look at can we develop an explicit POSED curriculum as well. 
so that was in in that second year. So in the third year, we were able, and this is what we we have made a lot of use of trying to look for what grants are available to get some money. We were able to get another grant, and we paid for Geelong Grandma to come here, and we told the rest of our staff we would like you all to go, and. They um, all but one had actually put their name down to go. So we had this one teacher who hadn't. And I remember coming in thinking, I've just got to go and have a chat with him. Yeah. And I was sitting in my office um, the day I decided, right, today I'm going to go and have the chat. And he walked into my office with the piece of paper and said, oh, I guess if everyone else is doing it, I'd better do it. So everyone did that training. And then we specified that they all had to work out how POSED could be taught in their subject area. That's great. So again, giving that choice and they're using their creativity. Absolutely. And it worked well for us timing-wise because it was at the time we were having to rewrite the curriculum to incorporate the Australian curriculum. Right. So they were having to rewrite the curriculum anyway. And so it was just a case of thinking, Good okay, time. how does POSED fit in here? And we expected that all teachers would identify on their learning assessment plans how they were teaching POSED in each semester of work. And uh, we also asked them to identify where they're teaching literacy and where they're teaching numeracy. So it just became one of the expectations of the school has been ever since. Just a couple of things, Jenny, and I know we haven't got a lot of time left, actually. It's flying. There's so much we could talk about. Um, I think the grants is a great idea. That was exactly how we kick-started Tully. It was a community grant off the back of uh, Cyclone Yasi, actually, um, which was enabled that. And I think one of the questions that continues to come up for me in public ed is where do we run this? If we do have an explicit posed curriculum, which you've said that, that you have uh, worked on or created, because in the independent sector there's usually a dedicated pastoral care period, mm. what what would you say to those questions? Yeah. Look, it, it depends on the school. Some state schools do have a pastoral care program of some sort. Right. We were at the same time with the Australian curriculum, we were actually redeveloping our timetable. So we put in a lesson. Right. And we made it sort of in the middle of the day rather than first thing in the morning or in the afternoon. That was a kind of strategic location. We wanted to make sure that no one missed it and students are sometimes late to school. (laughs) So we thought, right, we're going to do straight after recess because anyone who's late to school has arrived and it's before everyone's really tired at the end of the day. So we actually redeveloped our timetable and made this space for the POSED and then I mentioned we had the team, the Year 8 team. After that, we we developed a um, scope and sequence and it runs right through to Year 12. By that time, there wasn't too much, I guess, pushback from staff to say, no, we can't afford to drop some maths or no, they were really open to it. By that time, we had so much buy-in by staff. We had a few kind of naysayers, which is always healthy because they can actually help you keep things in perspective. Absolutely. But we had, by the end of our third year, we had the vast majority of staff very enthusiastically involved and staff have worked in groups to develop our explicit POSED program. So they have real ownership of that program yeah. themselves. We've provided them with research and resources and books and information and a structure and then they've used that and looked at what do we need with this year year level? And then every year we review it and we modify it and we look at what's new research coming out. We also have wellbeing data through the education department's wellbeing and engagement collection that we can look at that can 
for example, we've just got this year's and we're looking at resilience is looking really low at year 10. Right. And we're thinking, right, okay, we do have a resilience unit in our year 10 POS Ed program, but maybe we need to really look at that unit and see what else we can do with it. I just wanted to check on that. So that's a measurement. That's your form of measurement, which, yes, which, which yes. is? It's a it's the Wellbeing Engagement Collection. It's the, the Department for Education right. uh, it annually. So you've been able to track that over a period of time. Yes. It was fortunate for us that the first year they wanted to introduce it was in 2012, which was yes. when we were first working with Seligman. So we put our hands up and said, we'll be your pilot school. Yep. And our cluster of schools, so our primary schools, got involved in that pilot. And so we've been measuring, and initially it was only years eight and nine, which was a little bit problematic because we couldn't get whole school. It's now gone up to year 12. So we've been able to track that. And what we've seen since 2013 when we first started working with the students with POSED is small increments of improvement in their well-being every year using the measures that are in that tool. So if you compare 2013 with 2019, you've got significant growth. It's just been a little bit each year. Yeah, fantastic. And building on that. Yeah. I did want to just ask you about the student involvement because I know you've also produced a couple of fabulous videos, which I actually use in my workshops, um, particularly when we're working with public schools to sort of highlight that this can be done. And there was some really powerful reporting of experiences from students as to the impact it's had. Could you share a little bit about the student involvement or the impact yeah. on students? Right from the start, we, we've had the students being part of the process, I guess. We took yes. them to see um, Martin Seligman and when Martin came and visited us uh, once in 2012 and once in 2013 and both times we had student forums, so he would spend time talking with students. He really enjoys doing that. Oh, it's wow. something that he really values. And we involved our students in some of our decision-making. And we also get the students, when we're doing the wellbeing survey collection, we don't always remember this, but we try to remember to get the students involved in explaining, going around and explaining to uh, care groups why it's important that we Uh do this wellbeing collection. And we actually have noticed the difference between the years that we have forgotten, if a couple of years we've forgotten, a lot of, uh, we haven't had as big buy-in from students. You, you see that you, know, you might have less students fill out the survey um, completely or properly. So it's, a, it's interesting. So it's really valuable getting the students involved. Our students even had input to the questions on that survey because when they were first implementing it, we had uh, Peggy Kern was here. Yes. And she and David Engelhart from the Education Department, who's in charge of the group that run this survey, came up and a panel of our students looked at the questions and suggested where they felt they should be reworded because perhaps they weren't quite clear what was being asked of them and so on. And then since then, our students have been quite ambassadors, if you like, for why positive education is important. Very clever, isn't it? And they will speak about it. When we had a change of government last year, we had the new Minister for Education in the state come and have morning tea with us and a group of our student leaders. And um, our uh, some of our students started talking to him about POSED and one of them actually said to him, oh, so when are you going to roll this out for all the other schools in the state? And I must admit, I felt like it sounded as if I'd scripted them and I absolutely <laughs> hadn't. I had not said to them, now we need to push pause Ed or yes. I hadn't said a That's word about so it. so great. I, I, 
like sinking through the floor, but yeah. um, it's something that our students will actually promote. That's so wonderful, Jenny. If you're going to give three to five tips for schools looking to commence their journey or perhaps even, you know, bring in the, the business case, if you like, or the why yeah. of, of this, what would be some of your tips? Um, I guess in terms of tips, go slow to start with. And also you don't have to accomplish everything immediately. And I know one of the mistakes I made was when we started doing our POSED curriculum, I kind of jumped in head first and, and we worked on developing it from 8 to 12 all in one of the year 8 one was already there in beginning forms, but we worked on doing 8 to 12 all at once. And it was so silly. We could have just had 8 and 9. and right. you know, 10, 11, 12s could have done that year nine program because they hadn't done it before and just gradually rolled it out. We tried to do too much at once. Yeah, I still remember he's retired now, I believe, but John Weeks, who was a principal of Knox, who was the first school I worked with, saying to me, hasten slowly, Susie, hasten slowly. So that was a big lesson I learned fairly early (laughs) on as well because you can get quite energetic and as people, that contagion effect spreads. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time, didn't think about it, but in hindsight, yeah, should have been taken our time. We review everything we're doing regularly and I think if you want this to work, you need to give staff time to be re-energised. You need to give time to it in your training and development schedule. So we have uh, a regular time slot for POSED, wow. usually twice a term in our training and development schedule, where some of it is around new learning. So we look at new research or revisit old research because yes. we haven't looked at it for a while. Yeah. And also it allows, we provide time for staff to actually work on reviewing their programs, be it the actual explicit POSED curriculum or how they're doing POSED in their subject areas. We've also made it whole school. You know, we don't see it as a program. We talk about it as being part of the DNA of the school and this is how we do things. So every time we review a policy or procedure in the school, we look at it and we talk about it from a positive psychology headset and we think, you know, does this work within our positive ed ethos? So I guess they're they're things that I think are important. Would you say, Jenny, like how long has it taken to get it? Because you really are everything that I hope for in a school in terms of it taking a strategic approach. And it does take time to do Mm. that, to really hard, we call it hard wiring it or embedding it into the school. What's the time frame then, would you say, to have gotten that far? I really think by the end of four years, it was pretty fully entrenched right across policies, practices curriculum and it was a lot of hard work in that four years but also we provided a lot of time for staff to work on it yes Um, we also ran sessions for parents and we still do the occasional workshop for parents too so that ongoing education is really important and the, the I guess the thing for us now is is we go into slumps every so often and we sort of think okay, where do we need to go? What do we need to do? How do we need to support staff to keep this in the forefront? Yeah, and just quickly. And keep this important. So for new staff, onboarding, what's your process for onboarding? I talked about using grants for training and development there, and obviously that's great, but you can't always guarantee that you're going to win a grant. So yeah. we ended up developing our own training and development program. So we have a, initially we started with a one-day induction that we used to run in the Christmas holidays for any new staff to our partnership of schools in the Adelaide Hills. And then we, from that, we ended up developing, um, and we actually used a grant to release a teacher to work on this, release our wellbeing leader to work on it. Right. Uh, he and I worked to develop a four-day teacher training course of our own. And any 
new staff member to our school gets put through that training and development. But we also offer it to other schools, for state schools primarily, and we've probably, since we started, trained over 200 teachers. Oh, way over 200 teachers by now in South Australia. And so, you know, for us it was actually a selfish thing because we needed to find an affordable way that we could train new staff so that they knew what we were on about. Right. That's an amazing offering, isn't it? And that is supported by a grant, you said, ongoing? or and No, the grant no. only, all the grant allowed was the time to release our wellbeing to leader to write the course. So we, we released him for a term and to pull all the research together and, and work out what this course was going to look like and how it would obviously, it is tightly linked to Seligman's work here in Adelaide because that's where we grew from yep. and also to the way we've developed POSED in our school. But at the same time, it's all based on the research. So we just choose, we, we work through elements of PERMA and choose a key researcher in each element and we tell people there's lots of other researchers and lots of other perspectives on this, but we don't have time to do it all. And how often do you run that training? Um, we usually run it once a term. Right. Wow, that's amazing. And then yeah, there's release of staff from Mount Barker to, to, to facilitate. Run it. Yes. Wow. That's so impressive. <laughs> yeah, and we run it we run it in Adelaide because that's more central for people. If we ran it up here, it's not so convenient. Right. And if people listening, can they contact you or if they're welcome to email yes. me at the school. Um, my email's on the school website. Great. Um, if they're a South Australian Education Department person, the courses are on Plank, which is our in-house training and development platform and they can go in it's called steps to flourishing wow what an amazing positive energizer you and warren and the the school and the school staff are jenny thank you Susie. thank you so much for sharing your experiences and your wisdom and i mean this is really the hopes that that i know when i came in was uh, i'm a public school girl myself <laughs> so for me it was that was my hope is that it would start to spread and it is there's really no holding it back now i would say jenny so um, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next uh, 5, 10, 15 years, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're hoping that we've managed to get it so woven into the school that it's not dependent on personalities and, and yes. it's something that can stick. Absolutely. Well, we're going to put the link to the videos up yes. on our uh, Facebook group, Pioneers of Positive Education, and I'm sure you will have inspired and motivated a lot of people to take the journey that you've taken. So thank you so much. That's all right, Susie. Thank you for asking me, and I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series two. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Perth College, who will also be the host of the upcoming Flourish 2019 conference in Perth on Saturday the 26th of October. If you'd like to stay in the loop for all things POSED, be sure to join our Pioneers of Positive Education Facebook group or sign up for our free monthly Pi News. Thanks for listening and bye for now.